Welcome back, everyone, to Andy Here's the 80s, our special March Madness Best Album of the 80s album absurdity bracket. We are counting down our favorites from the decade of the 1980s. We've got 64 albums going head-to-head to decide which one is the best. If you listen to our first one a couple of days ago, you will hear our methodology for creating the bracket. You can also, of course, vote on your picks for these and every upcoming matchup on our Twitter page, at Andy Hears It. Uh, but now we have a matchup between the late 80s arena albums. So these are all, actually in this case, these are all platinum selling records. So these are real heavy hitters going up against each other. Starting with the number one seed versus the number 16 seed, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, released July 21st, 1987. Went 18 times platinum in the U.S., 23 million sold worldwide. Up against Eric B. and Rakim's Paid in Full, July 7th, 1987, went platinum in the U.S. and peaked on the U.S. album chart at number 58. What do you think, Aaron? Uh, Guns N' Roses, but can we talk about just the fact that Guns N' Roses and that band with, like, that genre of music was the highest-selling album of all of the ones that we're going to talk about. Like, so we've got some, some huge pop music icons in this bracket, and here comes friggin' Axl Rose and Slash with Guns N' Roses and manages to outsell all of them. I think that's impressive. Yeah, I, I, there are. This is one that definitely surprised me when I was looking up the sales. I'm like, wow, what sold a lot? It's the number one seed, like you said. Yeah, it, it is impressive because it was. Uh, you know, I feel like you. I, I would read occasionally about how, uh, you know, the hard rock was fading away in the early mm-hmm. '80s, and so it was a surprise to see some of these, like something like Guns N' Roses, come to such favor in the end of the decade and release something that sold 23 million copies throughout the world. And I think it's all on the strength of those mega singles that are on this, right? Yes, for sure. Anyway, Guns N' Roses. (laughs) Yeah, I do think Guns N' Roses probably wins because I think there is a lot of great songs on Paid in Full, and I think it's a really fun uh, album to listen to. And And I don't think that every song on Appetite for Destruction is a winner like it's not it, no it is those singles but at the same time and i think I we think... talked about that when we did the episode right? Like the singles are great the album cuts kind of not so much but there are so many great singles on this album and they're just all iconic yeah yeah appetite for destruction the from our uh, listener recommendations episode and paid in full from the new school hip-hop uh yeah i think I think Appetite still edges it out just because those singles are still really good. Mm-hmm. But I think Paid in Full is fantastic. It's, but it's almost the same thing. I think the the singles on that, like Paid in Full and uh, maybe one or two others, are really great. But the other ones are kind of figuring out what they're doing still. It's a lot of just kind of beats, which are all sound great. And I think they had a great... Uh, I mean, Eric Eric B. was a great DJ and a great master of the of the turntables and making these beats and rakim has a great flow over them that changed a lot of the way a lot of people thought about hip-hop uh but i mean some of the songs on appetite are undeniable to me yeah and also changed the way people thought about rock so yeah that's definitely true too all right so appetite destruction advances over paid in full this also making all these uh has really drilled into my head how to spell appetite 
<laughs> Which was I that one you had problems with before? Well, I never knew how many P's and how many T's, and now I finally know. That's true. But up next, our eight and nine seeds. Number eight seed, we have Tears for Fears, Songs from the Big Chair, released February 25th, 1985. Five times platinum in the U.S., million in the U.K., seven million worldwide, up against NWA's Straight Outta Compton, released August 8th, 88. Three times platinum, platinum in the UK. Uh, this is a tough one because these are both pretty fantastic albums. Mm-hmm. I think, but for for me, yeah, it kind of comes down to the to the same thing. Like Eric B and Rakim is a really good album, but Guns N' Roses is just kind of not just iconic, but also revolutionary. And here too, Tears for Fears is a really good album, but NWA is still revolutionary like if that album came out today it would be revolutionary forget 1989 or or whatever like this is this is just a this there's just something about this album that is that is timeless in its ability to to challenge you and uh and for that reason it's got to be nwa for me See, I think for me, it's almost those singles are so great and so revolutionary and still stand the test of time. But I think as an album start to finish, I actually think Songs from the Big Chair is pretty fantastic. And it, it surprised is. me from when we listened to it. That was in our 1985 episode, Straight Outta Compton in the New School Hip Hop. But I think that was one that surprised me with how great, not just the singles, but the album tracks, how great the sequencing was, how great every performance on it was and i think it's one that i kept wanting to listen to even after we were done talking about it so i think i actually lean songs from the big chair on this one uh okay uh we, we can go with songs from the big chair and then uh, just just know the next uh the next big contest we have <laughs> the error is on my side <laughs> all right I, i'm i'm i i all right, I'm going songs from the big chair. I think uh, it's pretty strong competitor, so we'll see. It's, it's, yeah, they're be... they're both very very good. I'm looking ahead now. Do I want to do I want to just hang on to my? Do I want to just hang on to this chip until the the obvious Sweet Sixteen matchup we've got coming up? Uh... <laughs> yeah, I think yeah probably uh, that's another Sweet Sixteen that'll be a, a long discussion. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, not related to that at all. We have our next matchup, which is our number five seed and our number 12 seed. The number five seed, Madonna's Like a Prayer, released March 21st, 1989. Four times platinum, 15 million in the world. Up against Prince's Sign of the Times, number 12 seed, platinum in the U.S., over 2 million worldwide, released March 30th, 1987. Prince and Madonna, of course, both got their own episodes in season two. Uh... And I think are both really great, but I'm guessing you're going Sign of the Times. I'm going Sign of the Times, yeah. Like a Prayer is great. Like a Prayer is also two great songs up top and an album after that, whereas Sign of the Times, I think, is is just really good from start to finish. Yeah, Like a Prayer was my favorite Madonna record from that episode, and I think the rest of the album works better for me than it does for you, but I think that, yeah, Sign of the Times overall is the stronger record. Yeah. So, sorry, Madonna. Prince will advance to the second round over Like a Prayer. Although Like a Prayer does have a Prince song on it, doesn't it? 
I know that's true. This is a prince versus prince matchup. Yeah, some, see, he was, was going to win no matter so. what. Yeah, exactly. So he 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 was going to win, like you said, no matter what. But I think his uh, his input on his own record, believe it or not, is probably a little better. Perhaps. Which brings us to our next first round matchup. We have U2's The Joshua Tree at number four, released March 9th, 1987, 10 times platinum in the U.S., over 17 million sold worldwide, up against number 13 seed Kate Bush, Hounds of Love, a million sold in the U.K., over 2 million around the world. Uh, and this one, uh, what, which one are you thinking? Uh, Joshua Tree for me, in so far as Joshua Tree is for me very much like Thriller. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got four great songs, and then the rest of the album also exists. But those four songs that open up the album are just so good that it makes up for any lack that comes later. Uh, yeah. So I, I feel very much the same way about the Joshua Tree as I do about Thriller, and that's enough to put it past pretty much any album in the first round. I think Hounds of Love is really great, uh, and I enjoy listening to it again. But And I also think that Joshua Tree, like you said, has those huge singles that are undeniable. And then I don't think the rest of the songs are bad like I do on... Or, or I don't think any of the songs are bad, whereas on Thriller, I think a couple of them are. Right, right. Yeah, it's and fine th- from there on out, yeah. Yeah, I think that also that the sequencing on Joshua Tree is still way off. It was something I mentioned in our major uh, releases episode that putting all those songs right up front, all of which start with a fade in and end with a fade out, just makes it like... It feels like the album is starting four times before we really get into it. <laughs> So I think if you took those and sprinkled them throughout the album, it actually would be a stronger listen. Possibly, uh, yeah. And it would even elevate some of those what might be considered lesser songs on that album. Uh, so that's a little bit of a knock against it. But that being said, I still think it it definitely advances. So with regrets to Kate Bush, Joshua Tree advances to round two over The Hounds of Love. Our next matchup for round one, we have at the number six seed, Janet Jackson's Control, released February 4th, 1986, five times platinum in the U.S., 10 million sold worldwide, up against Beastie Boys' Paul's Boutique, released July 25th, 1989, two times platinum in the U.S., peaking at number 14 on the album charts. Uh, Which one are you leaning on this one? Janet. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, like, listening to Paul's Boutique, I I appreciated it. I wasn't a huge fan. Uh, Janet Jackson Control is, is, at the, is at the top of her game. I think it's a great album. It, it's interesting because both of these albums are these artists kind of recalibrating the direction that their mm-hmm. music is going to go. So, like, Janet had two albums before this that were produced and looked over by her father, and this is her taking control of her career. And Paul's Boutique is a willing distancing themselves from the like frat boy personas of license mm-hmm. to ill and i think the beastie boys i mean both of these artists have better music ahead of them but i think as far as that change goes i think yeah control is a tighter album that i think is a lot of fun paul's boutique is great as well it's but great it, yeah it does meander just enough whereas i don't think control does I mean, this is a bracket with 16 great albums on it. I'd be hard-pressed to... I'd be hard-pressed to to tell you which one of these 16 is, like, my 16th favorite. It might actually be Paul's Boutique, to be honest. 
I, yeah. Which which I says more about the other fifteen than anything yeah. else. <laughs> I know it is. This is actually maybe the most competitive division I think because there really aren't any. I mean, there's no bad ones in any of them, but I think this one's yeah. really tough. I think I think it is, and I also like this is where this is where I have a bone to pick because like we're gonna get to the late uh, '80s club bracket later, and there are a lot of albums on that bracket that I'm like, I guess I'll move this one on. It's like just like <laughs> move a couple of these over to late club and switch them out. Like Madonna's yeah, a club artist, so let's move her over. That's true, but but even, Janet I mean, Jackson even... is a club artist. Let's move her over. Let's put NWA in the clubs. They might win <laughs> the NWA. Might win that whole bracket if we move them over. It is, yeah. It's you know, there's no perfect way to seed these, and I think uh, I still and there's also, you know, I wanted it to be albums that were equally spread throughout the decade. And I also, you know, I didn't point this out earlier, I don't think, but the, the most an artist could have on here, I think, is two. Yeah. And put one on either side of the bracket. so that Which is fair, to, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, there were some of these that, some some maybe snuck on here based on when they come out rather than when, or there might be earlier albums or later albums that didn't make the cut that maybe could have been better and maybe could, could have been sorted differently. But I think ultimately we'll probably have a final four that'll be, and even a even a sweet sixteen and elite eight that are going to be really strong. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think this uh, it's it's tough. It's tough to decide. But I think in this case, let's uh, we'll move on from this one and say control moves on to that, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. Yep. Up next, we have uh, our number three seed. Tracy Chapman's self-titled debut album, April 5th, 1988. Six times platinum in the U.S., 20 million worldwide. Up against Public Enemies, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. June 28th, 1988. Platinum in the U.S., gold in the U.K., peaking at number 42 on the U.S. album charts. Uh, Both albums with uh, socially conscious messages to convey to their listeners, uh, but both with very different approaches. Tracy Chapman outsold Madonna, really? It was a huge album. That was another one that surprised me. Yeah. I mean, Guns N' Roses, I could kind of see because there are, what, three or four just huge singles on it. Tracy Chapman, like, this is a this is a great album from start to finish, but it's got one big single, and that's mm-hmm. it. So it really surprises me and, and pleasantly surprises me because I love this album. And by the way, Tracy Chapman is my choice. Uh, oh, that it that it outsell that it outsold like a prayer and Joshua Tree and Sign of the Times and Songs from the Big Chair and Control like look at all of these albums <laughs> that it outsold. Yeah, I mean you look at the top the top six in this division all sold above ten million, and in the in that in that order is ten million Control, like a prayer fifteen million Joshua Tree seventeen Tracy Chapman twenty million. Whitney Houston, who we'll get to God. soon, 22 million, and Guns N' Roses, 23. So these are huge, huge albums, all of which good are for, completely different. Good for Tracy Chapman. I mean, for someone who got her start, like, playing acoustic guitar and singing in coffee shops and didn't really didn't really have to alter her sound or her, her vibe or her approach too much to start selling 20 million, like, that's a, that's a sign of strength right there. Yeah. Now that being said, I think like you said, this is Fast Car and the rest of the songs. And for me, I think 
Nation of Millions has more stronger songs on it to me than just Bring the Noise, for example. So I, for me, I think Public Enemy advances. For me, uh, like Tracy Chap, uh, the Tracy Chapman's album has has Fast Car and a bunch of other songs. If you're thinking about singles and songs that are kind of out there in the in the zeitgeist, but like look from start to finish on this album. You've got talking about a revolution. You've got across the lines, behind the wall, which is just acapella, but fantastic mm-hmm. baby can i hold you for you at the end which is really good like there's a lot of terrific songs on this album which i think fast car kind of eclipses a little bit just for how brightly it shines as a song but you remove fast car from this album and you've still got a great great like one of the best of the 80s album to me you think even without Fast Car, this is I think than even Mission without Millions? Fast Car. I think without Fast Car, Public Enemy would take it. Uh, but with Fast Car, for me, it's it's Tracy Chapman. However, if you want me to start accumulating chips, I'm happy to, <laughs> to go with Public Enemy. Because <laughs> hmm. Public uh-huh. Enemy is great. Like, and, and, and rewarding Public Enemy by moving them ahead, which is because Public Enemy is the other like, great hip-hop album from the end of the 80s which still holds up today as challenging and iconic and revolutionary and we 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 dropped nwa and we didn't move them forward so maybe we should move public enemy forward yeah i don't let's see this is tough now because i don't i don't know that i want to uh i don't know if i send public enemy maybe past the second round Mm. but I like it more than the Tracy Chapman album, and I do think, I mean, but like Public Enemy also, for the record, was one of the original seven, so I've listened to that for decades now. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. So I have much more fondness for that than most of the other ones here, but at the same we time- We did also establish in the previous, uh, in our in our Best of Songs episode, that mm-hmm. Fast Car- between you and me is probably the the number one song of the '80s. It's my number one. It's your number three. So, right. uh, so we've we've already rewarded Tracy Chapman for that. If we want to, if we want to move on, Public Enemy. Exactly. I think I think Fast Car got its due in the right place, and I think that there are albums that are stronger for for this for me. But at the same time, yeah, I think I still think Public Enemy is stronger to me. All right. Now, that's my first final that that's my first final four album that uh that gets knocked off wow okay but i'm good with that like the, again there are 16 great albums in this bracket so whichever one moves on yeah like we said this might be the toughest division i think it is i got right, two well. chips i'm hanging <laughs> on to them i'm gonna have to start giving some purple rain is going down <laughs> oh no okay <laughs> All right, late eighties club will be an Aaron solo episode, and then uh, I'll just... all right. But until then, we've got a few more matchups here in the late eighties arena. We have our number seven seed, which is Paul Simon's Graceland, released August twenty fifth, nineteen eighty six, five times platinum in the U.S., nine million sold worldwide. Up against number ten, The Cure's Disintegration, which was released May second, eighty nine, two times platinum in the U.S., nearly three million worldwide. Uh, Disintegration we talked about first in season one during the pop episode and again we had a Cure episode Graceland during the major releases this is is another tough matchup yeah I think I 
sort of lean Paul Simon, but I could go either way on this. Hmm. Yeah, I think I, I kind of lean disintegration. I like Graceland a lot. I think uh, looking back as I was listening, I do, uh, you know, while the music is great and his intentions were great, I do think there is something to be said about the fact that he did record some of this in South Africa at the time. Uh, it was not all recorded, you know, by bringing people out of South Africa. So I, I'm a little uneasy about that. I'm still okay with that because it's ultimately an anti-apartheid album. It is, but at the same time, at first I thought he did bring everyone over to New York and record there, but the fact that he did, and he, he paid everybody exorbitant amounts of fees to play in South Africa, so it wasn't an issue there, but I think I think there's a fair argument to be said about the uneasiness of recording this during that time in South Africa, whereas there's nothing like that, no baggage at all for disintegration in that sense. Oh, you could dig up some baggage on but, this <laughs> You could dig up think, some baggage on every single one of the albums that we've ever covered. You can, but, but I'm I think... I, like again. There's it's 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 two great albums, and and I do appreciate more the quality of Disintegration having gone through all of the Cure's '80s albums like we did in that episode because the Cure mm-hmm. because Disintegration kind of standing alone is a great album. Disintegration understood as the culmination of this journey that the band went on through the 80s i think makes it an even better album so i'm good with disintegration too yeah i think i think disintegration slightly stronger for me i don't want it to count as a chip but uh, no don't count it as a chip <laughs> okay no these two are practically tied yeah it's a t- that's a t- tough matchup but disintegration advances very slightly over graceland and I did say at the at the very top of all of this that if if two seeds are tied with each other, then the the yeah. lower ranking seed should probably advance because that's kind of an upset. So also mm-hmm. also good with the cure. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, our we final want those twelve matchup. five upsets. Yeah, our final uh, matchup of the late '80s arena division. We have Whitney Houston self-titled debut album at number two. Released February 14, 1985, 13 times platinum in the U.S., 22 million worldwide, up against De La Soul's debut, Three Feet High and Rising, 15 seed, released March 3rd, 1989, platinum in the U.S., peaking at number 24 on the U.S. album charts. Now, I think Whitney, I think this is one where there's a few singles, but the album itself doesn't hold together as well for me. What do you think? Um, I'm inclined to agree, except for the fact that this album kind of has nothing but singles on it. Uh, <laughs> this is, I mean, like how many songs are even on this album? There's only like nine or ten, and six or seven of them are are huge singles that, that still hold up. Um, but that being got, said, I think there's a few duets on there that I think are complete duds when I was re-listening to it. Uh, that is that is fair, uh, but I think there's ten songs on it. Two of them are are duets. No, three of them are duets. And of the other seven, I think five of them are huge hits. Right, five or six. Yeah, read them off. You give good love, saving all my love for you. How will I know? All at once, greatest love of all. And then they're thinking about you and, and someone for me, which less so. But you've still got five really great songs on a 10-song album, which is actually a better batting average than Thriller and Guns <laughs> N' Roses. Yeah, um, that's true. 
Whereas De La Soul for me was, I was, I was kind of sad by how much I didn't get into that album. I could see where they were coming from, but I was, I was fine to be done with it. I'm also willing to ding De La Soul for uh, something we mentioned back in that New School Hip Hop episode, which was that this was the album that introduced skits to hip hop albums, which <laughs> I think is a perfectly reasonable reason to eliminate them from this bracket. That's fair. There have been good so skits in hip hop albums. <laughs> but which a with a much lower batting average than <laughs> any, any album. But all right, so we, I'll go with Whitney Houston over De La Soul. All right, we'll we'll agree on the next round with that one. Yeah, and that wraps up our late '80s arena division first round. You can of course place your votes at our Twitter page at Andy Hears It. You can follow along there. Tell all your friends to vote as well. Listen to on whatever podcast service you use. And stay tuned next week. We will get into our final round one matchup for the late 80s club division. And then it'll be on to round two. So stay tuned, stay voting, stay listening. And until then, it's never too late to listen to great music that's new to you. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Yeah.